Hi, I'm Carly Spessel, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams, episode 85. And with me today is a special guest, a special friend. I'm so excited. It's a blast from the past, she is. And this is actually the first time we have talked in over, what did we decide? Like 15 years, I think is actually yep. true. 15. <laughs> Sounds about right. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Her her name is Dr. Carlise Bethel. She is the first African-American to graduate from UMBC with a PhD in molecular and cell biology. She is a member of the sixth class of Meyerhoff Scholars and received a Meyerhoff Graduate Fellowship to begin her graduate studies. Dr. Bethel received a pre-doctoral fellowship award from the National Cancer Institute and was recognized as a minority scholar in cancer research by the Association for Advancement in Cancer Research. She completed a postdoctoral fellowship in the Department of Pathology at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Her research focused on the development of clinically relevant rodent prostate cancer models. She is currently a science instructor at Dr. Henry A. Wise Jr. High School in Prince George's County of the lovely Maryland. She teaches biology and two courses in the Academy of Health Professions Pathway. This is currently her fifth year teaching. She's married with a teenager daughter and son. And, you know, given that busy life she has, she's still come onto the show. And hey, Carly's, how are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm just so excited. And I know Jamie is a little envious right now because, you know, I get to talk to you. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, a little background. Carlise was my counselor when I first got to college. We have a program. Wow. Right? I know. Yeah, I'm bringing right. it back. We There's a program with Meyerhoff at, that is called Summer Bridge, and it's like a, a pathway, a bridge, if you will, between high school and college. And Carlise was one of my wonderful counselors, and I haven't talked to her in over 15 years. But I've kept up yeah. with you. I mean, I know... I like I saw you when you were doing your graduate studies. I God bless Facebook, right? right? For those kinds of things. Right, right. Uh-huh. But we haven't had a chance to like outreach and catch up. Right, exactly. And you have and, been doing so many things. I mean, you're a teacher now, but we're gonna go back to Okay. To, you know, your college years. Mm-hmm. You know? And while Meyerhoff Scholars program is focused on math and science. You know, you're very familiar with that. Was yeah. that something you've always wanted to do, or is that something you grew into, math and science? So I'm one of those people that I got hooked on science very early on. Um, and I think the the life-changing point was when I got a microscope for one of my births. Not my birthday. I think it was a Christmas gift um, when I was in elementary school. And I remember actually going outside to get some water from a puddle to look for little organisms 
underneath the microscope. And so that was kind of the the first moment that I realized that I love science. And then um, I was in middle school and we were dissecting frogs and I was just over the moon. It was the most amazing experience. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so for me, it was always science. Math was kind of a close second, <laughs> um, but um, science, you, biology, you name it, I was there. Um, and I think when I got to high school, that's when I told everybody I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and for me, it was just, I loved animals. Or so I thought I loved all animals. Later on, I figured out cows and horses weren't my thing. So I changed my mind later on. I was going to say, but, I don't even know how you figured that out, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get to the turning point for that decision. <laughs> there was something that happened um, during a summer internship that, that changed my mind. But for all of my high school years, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I was headed to College in Notre Dame of Maryland. Um, that was my first choice. And then I got accepted into UMBC and then got invited for the Meyer Hall Scholarship Program. And I thought, oh, this is a perfect fit. And it's funny because when I interviewed for the scholarship, um, I discussed using a flashlight to train goldfish to respond to the flashlight at feeding time, which was my senior research project. Um, because I had gone to Oxton Hill High School, um, which is also in Prince George's County, so I'm kind of back home now. And I was a science and tech student. And so we had this year-long research project that we had to do. And so that was kind of my claim to fame <laughs> was the goldfish project. Um, and each summer, you're encouraged to do summer internships. And so I did one that was specifically for students who thought they wanted to be veterinarians. And we got to act like we were in veterinary school. We had um, grand rounds in the clinic. We got to rotate through different departments. And that summer, I was standing next to a horse, and I saw exactly how tall the horse was and how big the horse was and how little <laughs> I was. And we had a couple of cows come in, and they told us how we had to reach into the cow with the glove that goes all the way up your arm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, no way. <laughs> and they said, before you can specialize, this is what you have to do. I was like, I'm not doing that. And so I... About junior years when I changed my mind and realized, oh, my gosh, I can't go to vet school. And I kind of went through this, um, I won't say depression, but it was a very dark period because it seemed like everybody knew what they wanted to do except for me. And so, while you know, everybody else was applying to medical school or they're applying to graduate school. It's my senior year and I have no plan. Mm-hmm. And I took um, a developmental biology class with um, Dr. Charles Beaver, who eventually became my Ph.D. advisor. And that class changed my life because all the things that I had learned, you know, up until that point in my major, it seemed like it all came together in developmental biology. And it was awesome. So he said one day, I have space in my lab. If you're interested, you know, please drop by if you you know think you want to volunteer in the lab. And I ran right over and volunteered. And I had the flexible schedule because I'd taken most of my classes, so I could spend almost every day in the lab. And it was awesome. Um, and so that first summer um, that I was able to do summer research, that was the first group of Meyerhoffs that I was counselor for, which was actually the M9. So I was counselor two years in a row. So M9s were first, and then, Amy, your class, the 10s, were my second class. 
Two hands, no more, no less. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The most awesome class, right? That's right. And and so while I was counselor, I was working in the lab that summer. So um, that's when I decided, okay, well, if I'm doing all this work in the lab, I actually have my own project. Why not start your Ph.D. career? And that's what led me into the Ph.D. program at UMBC. So I just stayed there. Um, and then I found out they had the Meyerhoff graduate program. So I became a Meyerhoff grad so I could continue my work and still be on the same lovely campus that I love <laughs> so much. And I didn't know it at the time, but I would, you know, complete my research there. But I would also get married and have two kids during graduate school, which was an anomaly at that time. <laughs> Many people had come through the department at that time to have kids. So I was one of the first. A um, couple of people to have kids in graduate school in our department. It seems like after I got pregnant, a lot of other people started having kids too. Well, we did talk so, about the water. I remember. Yeah, yeah, they would say, "Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything <laughs> in her lab because you'll get pregnant." So we we had a lot of jokes about it, but it was a pretty awesome time. But yeah, a lot of switching gears um, and trying to figure out, you know, what was next. Can um, I can I go my... back to a sure. moment you said about? A dark period. And you didn't want to call it uh-huh. a depression, but I know a lot of people, myself included, go through that kind of period where yeah. you're not sure uh-huh. what's happening. Like everything right. up to what you've done is must have been a mistake because right. you don't know what's going on or what to do. And and thankfully, you know, things worked out for you. But what right. was your, if you don't mind talking about it, what was your uh-huh. state of mind in the sense of how does it begin? Because sometimes I think people get surprised by it or overwhelmed and maybe hearing something about it could help them identify it. I think the, I remember specifically, um, I had a physics exam because, okay, so this was third year. So I was taking, I think it was comparative animal physiology. Um, You had that class, the lecture, and then you had the lab. And then we had to take physics. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I was in calculus too. Wasn't required for my major, but that's what I did. And I was in there with a couple of my other mathematician besties and <laughs> some engineering folks. I was like, why am I in this class? And I remember we were getting the series in calculus too, and everybody was getting it except for me. And I was just like, really? And I found myself being able to focus more on the, the animal physiology class But physics and Calc 2 were getting away from me. And I had a physics exam, and I'll never forget, I stayed up, you know, all night because that's what we do, studying. And I overslept. And I had to take my physics exam. I had to beg the instructor to take take the physics exam in his office. So you missed the exam entirely? I missed the exam entirely. Oh, wow. And it was like, man, what is happening? (laughs) And I remember... You know, at that time, you know, you still call your mom and it's like, mom, I don't know what's going on. And I'm crying on the phone. And she was like, you'll figure this out. You know, it just, this is just what happens. You have to make a shift. You have a change that you have to make and you have to figure it out. And nobody can tell you what it is you're supposed to do. You just have to kind of work it through and go through it. Um, and I remember we had the fine arts building and I used to take piano lessons when I was in high school. And so I would go to the fine arts building and find one of the piano rooms and go play piano. And so some of the 
dark period was spent going back to some things that I remember I enjoyed doing um, and just reconnecting myself to the things outside of my academics. Like, have fun again. Um, and then the other thing was realizing there's other options other than vet school. Like, you had been on autopilot, I, you know, like a robot, just saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And then I had the experience of seeing what it actually was. And I realized, oh, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> you know, and I think we have to take each experience. Some things will tell you what, you know, you should go for. But a lot of experiences tell you what you don't want. And those are just as valuable as the things that tell us what we do want. And I think I had to just look at it as this is the period to try things. So just keep trying things until something sticks. Um, and what ended up happening my first year of being counselor, I didn't do so well in organic chemistry, so I retook it because I got a C the first time, or I took a pass-fail. So I wanted to get a B or better. So I retook it over the summer, and I was summer bridge counselor. So I did a lot better in organic chemistry and I took it all by itself, and it was like, wow, it made a huge difference just pulling it out of the context of the semester. And it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It just there were so many other things going on, too, that I couldn't handle it all. And there's nothing wrong with realizing this is too much for me. So I think it was kind of one of those things where you just had to take it one day at a time, literally. And my mom always says, break things up. Don't try to attack it all at once. Just do a chunk here, do a chunk there. And so I spent that, I think it was the spring semester, going through this lull and trying to figure it out. But by the time I came back in the fall after the summer, I had retaken organic chemistry. I had gotten a better grade. I felt better. And then I landed in developmental biology. And it was like, woohoo, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know, it, it, it just has to come at its own pace, right? Right. And I learned a patience that I had never had before because it wasn't a thing where, oh, this was over in a week or this was over in a month. No, it took six to seven months before I figured out, <laughs> you know, and then when I got in the lab, that's when all the light bulbs went off. It was so much fun. And then I could walk to the lab on the weekends. I could set up experiments and come in. I had keys, you know. That, that's how you know you like really it. really cool. On the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Went, you know, or I finished <laughs> classes for the day, so I was in the lab. You know, and um, my advisor, he would say, you know, she's here. She, You have a certain work ethic when you, you know, work in research that you want to be there. So I just, I kept showing up and I kept learning things. And it was just like a lot of positive reinforcement. So when I decided to go to graduate school, I was kind of on a research high. You know, and I was excited about it. And I think for me, it was just, it was the fit. And when I looked back and realized, okay, well, I started here. And now look how I feel about things. So that was really my first um, go at trying something new and making a transition. And it being a long, kind of long-suffering period. And little did I know that that would be the first of several um, periods of long suffering. <laughs> now, so you know, that's interesting. You, you've actually had to go through that again? Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, was it, was it the same or was it just you um, know, second verse, same as the first? It, 
not exactly the same, slightly different um, because you're at a different point. So my next transition, I would say, was probably about three years into graduate school. I had already um, defended my proposal. So I was back and forth between UMBC and completing some research at Hopkins. Um, And I was pregnant. And I remember being out for maternity leave. I actually took three months off. And I came back, and I tried to come back at full, you know, full speed. Couldn't do it. And I figured, well, if I'm coming back, and I, I planned it so I would come back in the summertime, thinking that that was, um, you know, the best time to do it. And I remember packing my daughter up. She's in the car seat. I'm ready to leave the house. <laughs> and I called my doctor, and I said, I can't do it. And he's like, just take a breather. You need a break. Just slow down. And so I took a little more time off, and I didn't come in, you know, all day, every day for a couple of weeks. I might have been a half day. And if I could do more than that, then I did, and I kind of eased myself back in it. And I spent some time wondering, you know, can I finish this thing? Should I stick with it? Um, And I learned, too, to reach out. And I think that's when I started building the mentor network that I was going to need for the postdoc step. And I started talking to individuals and they would share, you know, what they struggled with. And I think when you start reaching out and connecting with people and relating to people, what you're going through, it makes it easier. Um, It makes it so you're not so isolated and you don't feel so alone. So learning to come out of that and you're not supposed to stay by yourself, but to reach out and realize that, oh, everybody does this. Every At some point in your career, you're going to have a lull. At some point, you're going to feel like, is this the right thing? And then after that got over with, you know, it was a couple more years and then I was ready to graduate. And I didn't realize, too, that's the hardest part of finishing the Ph.D. is right before graduation. <laughs> so I went through another, you know, almost like giving birth, you have to get up the energy and there's so much required of you just to finish. Um, and that so, last step and is the that, hardest, right? Right. And at that point I was on kid number two. So I'd had my son. And so, you know, now there's two of them. And so having to balance, you know, husband working full time, I'm commuting to Baltimore at that point. Um, it, it was a lot. And, but we got it done, you know, um, I had a lot of help from my parents and my sisters and his family, um, my husband's family. So a lot of support went into me finishing my degree. And I think at that point, you've been through enough where you just start kind of building up this toolbox of things that you can go back to when things don't always pan out or when you feel like you're, you know, kind of stalled in your career that you remember you did this, remember you did that, you know, remember you reached out and talked to so-and-so, so maybe you need to go back to them or, you know, maybe you need to get back to the things you love. Are you playing piano? I mean, I roller skate. So some of this was me going back to the roller skating rink, <laughs> you know, just things that keep you grounded and keep you connected. And I think, you know, that just kind of over time, the more you go through it, I won't say the better you get at it because the challenges are always different, but you kind of recognize when it's coming and you recognize that it won't last being, you know, forever. You'll get out of it. Now you were saying it's not necessarily that it's better, but given that you kind of 
knew how you handled it previously, right? With the support right. system, mm-hmm. with what you were doing. Yeah. Do you think that, does that come back to you though? Or does it take a little bit before you realize, oh, that's right. I knew I did this before. What do I do? Yeah, I think it depends. Like sometimes you recognize, oh, I know this is like, this is it. <laughs> sometimes there's certain signals that, you know, cue you. And then other times it just kind of blindsides you. Um, I think for me, the next transition was going from postdoc to teaching and realizing that, okay, in order for me to teach, I had a mentor tell me, he said, you're going to have to take some time off. You're going to have to completely like let go of all the things you've been doing up till now before you transition into another career. And at first I was like, what are they talking about? Like, I got to keep working. (laughs) Yeah. You're training. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it literally took, um, from April of, I think it was 2012, um, my postdoctoral funding ran out and I stopped working at Hopkins for my postdoc. And then I didn't start teacher training until the following year, the summer of 2013. And I became a long-term substitute in January of 2013. So it was almost a year before I really got solidified in my next career path. Now, can I ask a question about that, your next career path? Because, you know, when people go for a PhD, Mm -hmm. right, it's usually you do your postdoc and then you you get a big job at a research company and you do these things. Did you always want to do high school teaching? Um, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I remember someone mentioning to me when I was at the um, veterinary medicine program, they said, you know, you make a good teacher. And I kind of filed it away like, okay, that's nice. And, but I remember always working with students in the lab and really enjoying that, like high school um, um, and college students, undergraduates coming in. Um, And then I worked really closely with a graduate student when I was in Hopkins. And I just always enjoyed that experience and kind of missed it. So any chance I could get to um, interact with students, um, any chance I could get to speak to students, I would take it. And so I would say over time I started to see, you know, I really like schools. I like being in a school. And I would take my kids to school and enjoy taking them there. And it was really pretty cool. And I was like, I could just stay here all day, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And you've been doing it now for five years. And are you are you where you want to be or do you think that there's another transition for you now? I'm so used to transitions. I'm sure there's another one coming. (laughs) Uh, Right now, I'm involved in writing um, the new curriculum. So we've adopted a new set of science standards um, called Next Generation Science Standards. Mm -hmm. And so we need to revamp our curriculum. So I'm involved with curriculum writing. And this will be the second year that I've served as a curriculum writer. Last year, we did microbiology. And I just thought, It's so cool to think of how you would actually deliver the material to your students, what activities you're going to do, the order in which you're going to do things, um, the options that you provide for people in the classroom um, to use, and really putting yourself in the shoes of the instructor 
and what you want your students to get out of it and how to write those documents. And to me, that's kind of a fascinating, it's a painful process. <laughs> I mean, any form of writing is, but <laughs> it also makes you a sharper instructor um, because you clearly have those standards in mind and you know what, what needs to come out of it. And then you're just building your toolkit in terms of what you can do with your students, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So that has really piqued my interest and I'm kind of, you know, super excited, overexcited maybe about, you know, getting more into that in addition to the day-to-day stuff. So we'll see where it goes. But like I said, I'm, I'm so used to being in a certain pattern for a few years and then, okay, something else came right. along. So I wouldn't be surprised if... <laughs> And it yeah, seems to come and find direction. you. Right. And it seems yeah. to come and find you. It's not like you're actively right. looking for it. Uh, right. It just, I mean, for even what you're doing now, I, you know, when you're in school and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe other people think differently, but I just assumed that the books appeared. I just assumed that teachers had a magic curriculum that was, I didn't know that there were people who actually worked on it. Right. And that's crazy to me because when it's like a a peek behind the the curtain, if you will. Right. With that. And and the fact that you're you're doing it and you've done it now was is is it the second year or you just did two different subjects? Two different subjects and I would say, yeah, for the it's working on the second year. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And is that for your school or is that like on a larger scale? So that's for the county. Oh actually for the county. Yeah. Did you volunteer? So we do for wait, wait. Our Did own... you volunteer? Because you probably volunteered. Yes. Yeah, I knew it. I did. Yeah. That's yep. so you. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, I'm looking for such and such and I need a teacher's ball. Yep, that's me. <laughs> and yep. it's funny because I work with another teacher um, really closely, um, Dr. Terry Dove, and I'm going to pass her name along to you too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're both career changers. And so she's been like my teacher buddy. And so she'll get you know, word of some opportunity and say, hey, Bethel, look at this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's really kind of cool to have, you know, somebody who's looking out for you in that regard. Um, and also kind of keeping their ear to the ground, too, to find, you know, different ways for you to express your teacheriness, if you will. Um, I'm sorry, teacheriness? <laughs> just one of those words. It's like, I'm feeling teachery today. Yeah. When you really enjoy... You know, that you get those teachable moments. I, I call I it, it being teachery. <laughs> a very teachery day today. Did you now? A teachery yeah. day. I wonder if I could yeah. throw that into the episode title somehow. <laughs> a teachery. Some days it's just, you know, it's crazy. But some most days, I would say, I have moments in the classroom where I go, wow, this is just, I'm having too much fun. It's hard. But at the same time, when you see your students get something, when you see them excited about it and asking questions and you had a plan, but because they, you know, took it and ran with it, you guys are all the way around the world, again, you know, and they walk out saying, oh, we have fun today. That's teachery. So that one, that's an awesome example. In general terms, can you expand upon that? Like, what's an example of something that you were working on, you were teaching that subject wise, even that kind of hit your students. Okay. Um, so I had this elaborate activity planned, um, (laughs) for the immune system. Um, and I teach 
the Academy of Health Professions tracks students. And so we are um, looking at different health professions and we also look at body systems. So it's a lot of anatomy, physiology, and then healthcare. And they were looking at the immune system and we're trying to learn the different types of cells in the immune system. And it's one of the most complicated systems. So um, for my students, you know, they had biology freshman year, so some of them are in AP biology, some of them are in chemistry. So you got to find a way to kind of bring them all together on the same page. And I gave them index cards. I found this little diagram of different cells and how they're related. Um, so all of the white blood cells, the neutrophils, the eosinophils, all the words they love to hate to try to pronounce, but I make them say it anyway. And I cut out the picture of the cell, and I gave them an index card, and I told them everybody in the room has a cell, and they have to figure out what that cell does and how it's related to the other cells, and then we're going to act it out. So I'm thinking I'm going to get this, you know, dramatic presentation. And the students started reading out their definitions of what the cells were and what they did, and then they started talking to each other. And they said, well, that sounds like it's related to my cell because, you know, this one interacts with those cells or sends signals to those cells. And so they started having this conversation instead of this elaborate production or acting out that I was envisioning. So then I pulled the screen up that was uh, in front of my whiteboard, and I said, come on up, and we're going to draw this out. And they spent 45 minutes, each one of them, it was about three or four students, taking turns writing the names of the cells and their functions and how they were related to them. So everybody would draw arrows from one cell to the next and what they did. And so instead of this performance, now we have this kind of roadmap um, of the relationships between these cells on the board. And I will tell you, it is still on my board today. I told them to take a picture and we posted it on our little Google Classroom site. And so this is their reference for all the different cells. And so each class, they did this about two weeks ago. So we've been referencing the same diagram on the board <laughs> for two weeks. And every time a question comes up, I say, well, what did you draw? And I'll pull up the screen and show them. And they go, oh, yeah, now I remember. And so now I can give them a review. Um, I could give them a quiz. And because of that exercise, that took way too long <laughs> and didn't look anything like what I wanted it to look like. You know, but now they have this resource that they made themselves. And, and it sounds so, like it has um, a lasting impact, too. Right. And so they said, well, let's go back to the picture. And then I can shuffle the cards and hand out the cards to different students now. That wasn't the one you started with. But now you know what that particular cell does. Oh, you got to share that photo. We'd love to sh see that. <laughs> so they, they made it their own. It, you know, they took it from me, <laughs> changed it, you know, we modified it, and now it's their own. And so instead of me telling them and standing and lecturing and saying, this is what this cell does, blah, blah, blah. No, they found it. They figured it out. They mapped it out. They made mistakes. They corrected each other. They debated. And, you know, they have a deeper understanding of it, which to me, that's, you know, you can't plan on that. You have to develop the culture in your classroom for that to take place so that they feel free to make mistakes. They feel free to volunteer to go up and draw on the board. You know, they feel comfortable to talk to each other about it um, well, and, and work to, it through. To your credit, you allowed it. 
You right. know, you could have yeah. you could have just stuck with it. No, guys, that's not intent. That's not the purpose. I right. need I need Shakespeare in front of me. That's not what's yeah. happening right now. Yep. You know, but uh, I'm not sure you would have had this kind of an impact on them if you had allowed that to continue. Right. Exactly. Yep. And I literally just sat down. <laughs> I sat down and just watched them go, you know, and being comfortable with that and understanding, too, they have to own the learning. Um, and when you let them do that, those are the best moments in the classroom when they are doing the work. Yeah, I always enjoy whether the people do the work. But in this case, <laughs> in this right. case, I mean, because I think you've always had some kind of natural teaching to you. Uh, and oh, having, thank well, you. <laughs> I mean, you were my counselor when I was like, what, 16, 17, something like that. Mm-hmm. You leave an impact when you're when you're like one of the first people we interact with, right? Going into right. college, I right? Mean, mm-hmm. We're still moldable minds, if you will. And, right? You know, I remember one. You taught me spades. Uh, two, you know that it's a scary time. Summer Bridge is, you know, absolutely a bridge. But you take these courses, which right. are college level, right? Right, college level courses which can easily stress you out. And uh-huh. I know and remember we've had a few nights where you and Tia and, um, you know, the other counselors would sit us down and be like, are you okay? And just, right. you know, ch- <laughs> check in. on us and help uh-huh. us at the same time. And, and so, I mean, it's not surprising to me that you're teaching today. I can see that. I Back then I probably didn't realize what that meant, but I can uh-huh. see that looking back, you know, it fits with you, but the fact that, you know, that you went through the transitions you did to get to that point, that's the part I think for me is surprising because honestly, yeah. I, you don't know a person's journey, right? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think too many of us put our assumptions and thoughts on people. Right. So, you know, when you were talking about, uh, the dark place you had gone and how you've gone through it a few times, even, and uh, probably wouldn't be surprised if, if it happened again, you know, um, I think we all go through that in some way, shape or form with that. But I think your experiences have led you to be understanding or empathetic might be Mm -hmm. the word for students. Right. Because of that. And it's interesting with, with student, what grade are your kids in school? So I have, I actually have ninth through twelfth that I teach. Yeah, so you got the gamut. Yeah, you're not just a teacher, but you're a role model or a resource for them as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So this isn't these transitions, these dark periods. This isn't something that's limited to when you're an adult, right? No, I don't think so at all. Um, and honestly, I think. The earlier you go through, you know, that sorting out period, I think the better um, because you do know when it's going to, when it's happening or you recognize it for what it is. I think for me, mine was a little bit late breaking because I had always kind of known what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but everybody, you know, hits that transition at different times. And I think, too, when you make big, huge shifts, in your thinking or, you know, in your path or careers or whatever it is, it's growing pains. You're going to 
go through, you know, and, and hit the wall or have to shift gears and do certain things um, in a big way um, to get through them. So I definitely can relate, you know, when, especially when I think being in the environment at UMBC with so many people who are so smart and doing so well, sure. and you feel that pressure that, well, am I supposed to be doing this too? And, you know, what, what am I, where am I going? <laughs> you know, and having to sort that out in the midst of everybody else where it looks like they all have it figured out and maybe they don't. Um, but, you know, still being able to navigate your space and figure out this yeah. works for me, but this doesn't work for me. And, you yeah. know, it's interesting because, um, you know, most of the people listening are usually probably college or, or older, but I think sometimes recognizing that it happens to us at an right. early age for our kids or mm-hmm. our friends' kids or, or people yeah. in our life. I mean, when I, I remember one of the first, I think it was the first, yeah, first semester of college, mm-hmm. I I think it was Chem 101, and I enjoyed it. Oh, I yeah. loved Chem 101, you know? Ooh, did you? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I, you know, I went through transitions <laughs> in college. Right. Chemistry, chemical engineering was the initial uh, right. major before it changed. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, this is great. This makes sense. I was helping others, tutoring others. All right. First exam comes, and I get a B. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what? No, I, was it a B? No, I got a C. It was like my first C um, <laughs> in life. And I was like, what is this? And people I was tutoring had gotten A's and B's. And I'm like, and, you know, I was very happy for them. Don't get me wrong, guys. I was very mm-hmm. happy for them. But I thought the world had ended. I was like, I'm going for chemical engineering, which obviously I didn't. But at the time I was. And... <laughs> I was freaking out. And I remember calling my, my parents and my dad was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I got a C of this paper. And I studied and I studied my butt off. I mean, I was teaching people. Right. I was like, so you knew. Right. But wow. I didn't, I was like, um, it's over. College yeah. is not for me. Clearly <laughs> I needed to stay at the high school level where I was doing right. well with my A's. And, you uh-huh. know, I just remember my dad and Dr. Doc had said the same thing and he always did. And Mr. T would say the same thing as well. You know, uh-huh. did you study as hard as you could? And right. I was like, yes. I was like, well, then be happy, be proud of your C. Right. You know, you, you did, if you can say that you did your very, very, very best. All right. Then okay. Right. And, but, at, you know, at the time though, it's very hard to like, rectify I see what they're saying now Did I really do my best? right I, I was like I, but how is it I could teach people but I couldn't do and right and I think we have to get through those moments and we have those mini dark periods mm-hmm. or dark periods so that we can kind of learn something because for me it was probably testing right yeah mm-hmm. you know but I we all have those moments where we freak out very very easily and right. have those moments mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting that it can happen over and over again, more than just once. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it might have to because it's like, okay, you didn't get the point the first time. <laughs> keep trying. And honestly, I think, too, for me, realizing I don't always learn the same way for every subject. Oh, that's great. So okay. learning to modify how you approach things. Okay, if it's biology, this is how I can approach it. I can read a biology textbook cover to cover. 
Nope. Love it. Awesome. Nope. Any other topic? <laughs> no way. You know, different approach. Um, you know, might have to watch a couple of videos. I have to take notes. Flashcards. I need to make outline. I might need to have somebody teach it to me. And learning to me that over the years, what I've gotten, not just from my students, but from myself is it's really an art and trying to figure out what works for you and when it works for you. And that thing about, you know, did you do your best and being honest with yourself? Because sometimes I didn't do my best. I didn't do everything that I probably should have. Now, some things you have to figure that out and what that is, what is your best? And so I think during the, the time of the transition, I figured out what is my best? What am I best at? You know, I, there's a lot of things that weren't working, but well, what am I really good at? You get to focus on that too. Yeah. Um, and I, I think listening to your periods of transition, you know, I took my first computer course that summer and you know how you felt about uh-huh. developmental biology. That's how I felt about yeah. computer science. And wow. I realized, uh-huh. okay, so it's not chemistry. It's computers. Right. right. You know, and I, I think we have to go through that. But, you know, in that moment, there's any mm-hmm. young person listening. In that moment, you may not right. understand it. Right. But there's a reason. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. And sometimes you may absolutely. never get the reason. <laughs> that too. Right. <laughs> it's accepting that, that you may too. never get the reason. Right. Yeah. Well, Carly, I mean, I, I've had people ask me, they're like, would you ever go back to research? And I, I was like, absolutely. Well, see, and that was going to be my, my other question is, would you go back and change anything or go back and redo or restart? Um, I don't think I would. No, I, I wouldn't go back and redo anything how I did it. Um, I think for me, I was really satisfied with what I did. And when I stopped being satisfied with it, I changed. So I don't regret, you know, the path. I think it was funny because I always feel like everything in my life, it's always a lot at one time and so I'm capable of handling a lot at once and everybody you know some people that just it doesn't work for them but there are those of us that it can be a lot going on and we seem to just figure it out piece by piece and we're almost at our best when there's a ton of different things going on you know I look at weeks where well, look at the schedule what's going on and where's this going and then I look back on the week like yeah <laughs> We racked it. It's over. All right. On to the next, you know, mm-hmm. couple of big things. So, um, no, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Like I said, I don't feel like there's anything in my life that if I wanted to go back to, I could. I don't feel like I have to do something and move on and never return. If I want to go back to it, it's still going to be there. Um, and so I still keep up, you know, with the research to some degree. I still read papers and get the table of contents from different journals <laughs> in my email. And, and when I find something, I even pass it on to my students. Like the last project, it was like, find some research in the immune system that's going on right now. And they found the coolest stuff, you know, things like the food you eat causes inflammation. You know, it, it was just amazing what they came up with. And we just have wonderful discussions. So I get to use what I learned as a researcher in the classroom almost every day. You know, you can multitask, you can organize, you can switch gears and scrap it and do something else. So this isn't working. <laughs> so let's try this. 
you know, these, all those skills I learned in the lab. So it's the same thing in the classroom. Um, just now there's real people there. <laughs> One of the things that we ask, and if your students are listening, it's probably something you would tell them. What is one thing, one action you would have a dream chaser do? Someone who's trying to figure out or do something that they love. Um, I would say do something with it every day. Um, I tell my students when they're trying to master a concept or study for a test, I say, if you look at it 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day, when you get to the test, you've done most of your studying already. And anything you really want to be good at or committed to, you have to pick it up every day. Um, I think when you touch it every day, when you think about it, when you interact with it, it just becomes more real. It becomes a part of you. It's a habit. Um, and so if you really, really love it, stick with it and find a way to do something with it every day. Um, and, you know, if it's writing, sometimes you just sit and stare in the space and then all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere. But as long as you're doing something with it every day and not neglecting it or skipping it, you know, and expecting it to be at the same spot where you left it, you know, three days down there. No, get something in every single day um, that's related to whatever your dream is. And I don't see how that approach, you know, can keep you from getting to where you want to go if you do something with your dream every day. Boom. Drop mic. <laughs> Carlise, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and just sharing your story. I love it. I love Aww. it. You, you rock. Thank you. Thank you. It's inspiring for me. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. And guys, that was my friend, Carlise Bevel. And I love her. She is fantastic. You know, when she talks about transitions and, and the, the times you go through dark times or um, quiet times, and trying to figure it out, you know, listen to it. Don't, don't dismiss it. Don't uh, ignore it. But, you know, think about it and get help, get support, and you'll get through it. That's the important thing, just like she did and like, just like she did more than once. Okay, we all go through that. I went through that myself. My sister's gone through it. Friends have gone through it. You're not the first person that is going through it, and you won't be the last. Okay, but I will assure you, if you get help and support, You'll, you'll be fine, okay? So you guys can find all the notes and all the links that are mentioned in the show on the show notes page over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 85. That's episode 85. Till next time, dream chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.